Hello and welcome to session 29 of UMAT. Hello and welcome to the next session of UMAT, where I'll be talking to Celia Champion, Director of Painless Practice. We, have a con we are having a conversation in this episode around conflict, uh, a subject probably not that dear to many of your hearts. Um, as clinicians, as human beings, I will openly admit that um, it in the past has been one of my least favourite scenarios, topics, um, but it's something I have learned to become a little bit more comfortable with and, and something that I support other people to become more comfortable with, as does Celia. You will hear in this episode lots and lots of references to um, things you can read, things you can watch, tips you can employ. Celia is a wealth of knowledge on these things. Uh, I think there'll be lots of aha moments, um, perhaps some cringe moments, but you're going to take away a lot of useful information if conflict is something that you would like to become a little bit more comfortable with, if not love. So sit back, enjoy the episode, and I'll be back at the end with some information about uh, an ongoing workshop following on from the conversation that I've had recently with Celia around. So hello and welcome to this latest edition of UMATO, where I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Celia Champion, who for many of you won't need any introduction. I'm sure you've come across Celia and her amazing work before, but if by any chance you haven't, Celia is the director of a wonderful business called Painless Practice, which supports clinic owners on the business side of practice. So Celia's mission is to make sure that clinic owners are as confident in the business side of things as they are in their clinical work. And there are kind of four pillars to, to what Painless Practice offers. They can support you with growing your practice, uh, establishing a better work-life balance, um, Oh, Celia, I've written team something and then I can't read my own writing. <laughs> <laughs> so team management and leadership and, you know, just kind of really um, working really, really well with your team and being a really great leader. Good. team. <laughs> and then the last thing I can read is your exit strategy. So those are the kind of four pillars of painless practice. And I would really encourage you to go and look at Celia's website if you haven't before. We'll, we'll give you some links and things at the end. But go and have a look around because Celia really does understand clinicians. She's been working with clinicians, specialising working with clinicians for years, and she she really does get it. Yeah. So Celia and I have I haven't said hello, welcome Celia. Let's do that. <laughs> well, thank you, Joe. Nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for agreeing to do this episode with me on conflict. Um, Celia and I have actually been chatting together about conflict on and off for the last few months, and. Uh, I delivered a webinar to Celia's community recently on conflict and surviving the feelings, which tapped in quite well to, to my side of things. And um, we were laughing when we were talking about what was going to be involved in this episode. Um, Celia had a lovely phrase of basically helping you get your big girl, big girl or big boy pants on when you need to. So that is tongue in cheek, but essentially that's what we're going to talk about, the nitty gritty of, of conducting conflict. But there's all sorts of stuff around that. So um, Celia, where I would like to start, if it's OK with you, would seem like a simple question, but I think it's really relevant to clinicians. Why, why conflict? Why do we have to have conflict, particularly when so many of us would rather 
it just didn't exist. We'd rather it didn't exist, but we're all human beings and it does exist. Um, I mean, I think I said to you earlier, I think, um, you know, the whole, the worst problem about communication is the illusion that it's taken place. So I think you might think that you've communicated something very clearly, but it hasn't been heard in the same way that you've communicated your intention of communication hasn't been actually heard in the same way. So I think that's where that's where our, that's where we start is that actually conflict is 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 going to be inevitable because we're never going to communicate one hundred percent perfectly. You know we can't control what the other person hears or understands or feels in terms of how we conduct ourselves. So I think in a nutshell, yeah. that's how that starts. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. So let me just clarify, are you saying in that, that um, well, I hear that you're saying that conflict can happen as a result of poor communication. Are you also saying that if we actually look at our communication first, then perhaps we can save ourselves from some conflict situations? I 100% think that there probably are things that we can do to save ourselves. I mean, I think it's a it's a learning process and we, you know, we learn every day how, you know, our communication is landing or not landing. Um, sometimes we surprise ourselves where something has gone smoother than we thought or, or we're shocked that someone's reacted the way they have when we've seemingly put it across in a very kind of, what we thought was a calm, level-headed, kind way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it, I, I, I kind of think we're always going to have to deal with conflict. I think there, there are lots of different tools and things that we'll talk about today that that you can use to really help you communicate better. Um, I don't think we'll ever get rid of it unless, you know, as you say, just kind of hide away and pretend nothing's ever happened and we just never, ever go have any conflict in our life ever. Mm. Um, probably make one quite miserable <laughs> yeah yeah often the the putting off just um, delays the inevitable and in fact exacerbates oh yes gets worse absolutely you know you kind of think oh I'll just leave it I'll just push it under the carpet and and eventually you get to a stage where you just go and yeah yeah and even as someone who supports people with conflict scenarios and office templates and support and things like that you know, hand on heart, I would still personally rather have a day where there's no conflict than a day where there is. Um, and I suspect, well, of course, that's not peculiar to clinicians. But do you think clinicians in particular have a problem with conflict more than other? I think, you know, generally speaking, the, the very nature of clinicians, the kind of that really warm caring you know most clinicians if there's um there's a kind of a book called surrounded by idiots and I'll, t I'll tell you a bit more about that in a while but um they are they're four different personalities and well, this is what the book kind of puts out and obviously you can have a bit of each color in you but I'd say a, a large majority of um, clinicians are kind of sitting in the earth green calm you know kind of caring space because you've become clinicians you want to help people get better and improve their lives and so you know a lot of a lot of that I think just by nature of personality can make it harder to deal with conflict yeah and and certainly I would say the feelings around conflict. you know you're absolutely right 
that yeah. earth green thing just even sounds appealing to me sort of visually and, and <laughs> things that I feel comfortable with yes earth and green finishing absolutely and I think sometimes conflict almost seems to directly insult um, what we've decided to be in our lives and, and how we want to represent ourselves it's almost like these events happen which um, I don't know it feel like they they cause us to present a different part of ourselves which we're not comfortable with to the world. <laughs> so yeah. what are the what do the other colors represent in that system so 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 uh, interesting that the, the the book was written by um uh, Thomas Erickson and his consultant and went into this organization and the kind of uh, CEO of the organization was like, oh, I don't know what you're going to do about this lot because I'm just surrounded by idiots. And oh. the whole thing that came out was actually, you're not surrounded by idiots, you're surrounded by different personalities. And so they're kind of four key personalities. And, and interestingly, they say that their research, and, and I think you can use all sorts of different models and, you know, lean on things. And, you know, it's not, you know, this is not a 100% scientific However, their research suggests that 5% are dominated by one color only. Um, 15% can be described um, in a three-color range. And then the majority of people are, the 80% are dominated by two. So your four kind of key colors are the, the fiery red. So the person that's really bold and assertive. And then you've got the sunshine yellow, the kind of outgoing, cheerful um, you've got the cool blue, which is a really formal and precise. And then you've got earth green, which is that calm and tranquil. And so you can imagine if you're kind of a combination of colors or you're dominated by one particular color and you're dealing with someone that's a different color from you, you can, you know, conflict might, might arise just by the nature of your style of communication and their style of communication. And, and I think it's a great, this is a really great platform to just kind of play around with and, and kind of think about who around you, what, what colors are the people around you? Mm-hmm. And so what do they need? And, and also just recognizing I was like, my fiance is a definite blue and green and I'm a definite red and yellow. So we are kind of, we all four colors all together, but I know, I know where his indecisiveness comes from. So if we're going shopping and he's like, we went shopping looking for a suit the other day for him and, and that it's because he's green and, and greens are indecisive. They, they find it difficult to make decisions. And so I can recognize that. And we can we have a bit of a laugh about it as well. I say, oh, my gosh, of course, you're being so green. Um, you know, but it's like otherwise th- that could have been I could have get, got really irritated that it's taken us three hours and we've gone back to the exact first one that was the right one. <laughs> Um, but but just recognizing those kind of differences in personality gives you a better way of communicating you know I can kind of just jokingly kind of nudge him along rather than get like huffy puffy fiery red and come on this is ridiculous da, 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 which I could do as well because I'm red yeah so understanding yourself is as important as the person that you're exactly yeah yeah I was smiling when you were saying it because it reminded me of a conversation I had with our Chinese acupuncturist years ago um through Chinese acupuncture her references were still um they weren't colors they were earth water metal and fire and um she actually said then almost all of you here at earth and um and she she said you've got a bit of jeremy paxman in you as well Joe. <laughs> 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 it's maybe a little tiny tiny accent of red perhaps yeah. <laughs> but yeah i can see how um it's understandable that so few people would be purely one color 
Mm. And it's just, you know, when James and I, so my, my business partner that I had um, who, who retired in 2020, um, when James and I kind of came across these colors, we recognized, you know, he's red and blue and I'm red and yellow and our blue and our, and the yellow are kind of the diagonal opposites clash the most. So the, the cool blue and the yellow really clash. And so we, we realized that. So I realized that, you know, he needs those details and that facts and the data and, and me being yellow is just like that's completely, you know, out of my kind of my even zone. Um, but my yellow could also kind of, you know, me going in and being huggy and, you know, very boisterous and loud and cheerful and could kind of like grind, wind him up a bit. So, you know, we could recognize that actually, you know, how do we work best together in terms of our different personalities and our, our different needs? Yeah. And also, as business partners, and I recognize this with me and my business partner, Daphne, because it's, I'm sure, whichever system you use. Um, I'm sure you and James probably found the same, but Matt and I have got into a habit of when there's a conflict situation, we actually discuss which of us is going to be better according to the person that, mm. that needs to take place with. And, and we can make the decision in an instant now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a Joe situation or that's a Matt situation. Yeah. yeah. It's really helpful. But the book was called Surrounded by Idiots. Yes, make sure Thomas Erickson. Thomas Erickson. Yeah. So, Celia, if we then acknowledge that um, you know, we're the best one in the world and the best communication in the world, conflict situations are going to occur, not just because we're the business owner, um, sometimes mm. the other way, you might just bring things up with your boss. Mm. Do you use any sort of formal templates or what do you use to support people if they come to you and say that? Just not comfortable with conflict. So if we if we think about a situation where let's say you've got a practitioner that's underperforming, mm-hmm. and this is going to obviously cause a conflict, my first kind of my first go to is to work out what level are we at in terms of not meeting expectation, and it's a very simple four four step model. Number one is do they know what the expectations are. And we kind of need to make sure to answer that question really, really truthfully. Do they, you know, have you, have you, do they have a job description? Have you sat and put goals together and they know that they need to be achieving, let's say, a certain patient visit average or a certain occupancy in their diary or even just they need to give you two blogs a month or whatever it is? You know, do they, do they know what that expectation is? Then if we can 100% tick that and say, yes, yes, absolutely, they do. Then we want to go down to the next level and say, do they know that they're not meeting those expectations? So have you actually kept them updated and you haven't just set the goals and then a year a year down the line, you haven't let the poor person know that they haven't met the goals. Um, so we need to really make sure, like, do they actually know that their patient visit average is 1.3 and you're expecting it to be four or that um, their occupancy is actually 60%, whereas they feel quite busy because their diary is a bit bitty, but no one's actually given them that feedback. So do you have a really regular, do you have regular conversations with your team members about how they're getting on? Um, if you can 100% tick that, absolutely, yes, they absolutely know what's expected. They absolutely know that they can't, they haven't met your expectations. The next question is, can they meet your expectations? And so are they actually able to, do you need to give them some training? Do they need a bit more support? You know, what what resources might they need for them to be able to meet that expectation? 
And if we can 100% tick and say, I've looked in the mirror and I've done absolutely everything in my power to be able to help this person meet my expectations. We then go down to the next question is, will they meet your expectations? And that's where maybe they are making a choice to, I'm, I'm not I'm not doing what you're saying. Oh, oh, I'll block up my diary first on Monday morning as much as I like or whatever. And if they won't meet your expectations, my expression is you invite them to go and express their talents elsewhere. But we don't, we almost shouldn't get down to that. If we do get down to that level, then, then as long as you've done absolutely everything, probably they're not going to be happy where they are, you're unhappy, they're probably unhappy, and the best re- resolution would be to part ways. Yeah. There's a um, lot that can happen prior to that. Yes, I hear that, and particularly in the gap between um, third or fourth or fourth and fifth stages. So when you have um, maybe spent some time going back and, and uh, perhaps reiterating expectations, discussing with them, how they might go about um, making sure that happens and then some kind of review process mm. of HR language now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, it, it sounds very quick, like from uh, the penultimate stage to the last one, but I hear you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of space there for um, reiteration and review, giving people the opportunity. But I, I really like those steps in that, um, you know, if someone is averse to conflict, then it starts very much with a discussion, doesn't it? You know, yeah, and, and I think I know. I know um, we've probably spoken about the kind of purpose and values and vision, and and you know th- that can be a little bit of a, a kind of tick box exercise, which I would hope it isn't. But unfortunately, often it is just kind of you know come up with purpose and come up with values and stick them on your website and stick them up on the practice wall and whatever. But I really truly have seen such great positive impact when those are actually real and they actually are meaningful and and you've you've really come up with what what is a purpose what you know so i think there's two whys in 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 running a practice there's a why for you know what is a clinician trying to get out of it so yes there must be in terms of making a living and meeting your personal goals like you know you're building a business and that business needs to support your your journey and your personal goals. So there is that vision. But I think the bigger purpose is why does a clinic, why does it open in the morning and why should anyone care? And it's like that kind of because you're getting people better, because you're wanting to get them better, keep them well, you want to help them improve their quality of life. And I think when you've really articulated that, and I know a lot of people think, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, we've got that. And as soon as I sit down and say, okay, right, let's articulate that. It's actually quite hard. It's quite hard coming up with something that you feel really genuinely passionate about it doesn't feel cringy so I think that that's almost like the first building block that needs to be in place is what is that purpose and then what are the top three things that are non-negotiable in the way you deliver your uh, your your patient journey but also the way that you work together as a team mm-hmm. and if you get those really articulated really really well and and defined so maybe maybe you want to be educational and so maybe your definition of that is that we provide our patients with additional resources we go over and above and we you know go out of our way to find extra stuff for our patients or um we're providing a very personalized service we we're making sure that we're really understanding the patient's goals and 
how how what they have presented with how that impacts them and how they want to be different and you know defining what those values are and defining what that purpose is if your whole team are completely on board and you're actually living that purpose and values then when it comes to having difficult conversations it's about the values and 99% of the time whatever is happening that is causing this conflict is probably some one of the values that is just not being upheld um you know so you could kind of so then it becomes about talking about the value and if you've done a lot of work with a team around that it makes those conversations so much easier because mm-hmm. like come on you know we've agreed that we really want to personalize the service and you know we've just kind of done if you've done a notes audit or whatever and you see that everybody's just that kind of like sausage factory then we can have that conversation I'm going to go down a bit of an alley consciously because I think this is really important. It's slightly away from conflict, but um, you and I have talked about values before and, and I've shared with you that sometimes I find the way values are elicited and um, I completely agree with you that with that just sticking random, good-sounding things on a wall and never reference doesn't work. And the other thing that I've found um, as a director of quite a large company is how difficult it is to... Um, get sort of cohesive, a small number of cohesive values that literally everybody can buy into without it getting really bland and without it ending up being things which, quite frankly, any decent practice should be um, exhibiting like friendliness and integrity and things Mm. like that. Um, And it was going through my mind while you were talking. And I'm just wondering, particularly as we're talking about individualism to an extent in relation to conflict, um, what are your thoughts on having sort of big headline clinic values you mentioned two or three there so that everyone remembers them and everyone can try and live by them or agree to live by them but then almost on the basis of this color system that you talked about I can sort of see the value in then allowing maybe even in the course of these conflict discussions allowing people to talk about their own personal values which are really because of the peculiarities of that person and the good peculiarities of that. Mm, mm. So, you know, and they might come up and the person might say, well, yes, actually, I do know that this is the clinic value, but because of this particular value that I have, we need to try and interpret that differently. 100%. I um, actually just was chatting to a, a client yesterday and I'm going over to their clinic in September and we are actually doing, well, we're doing a, a dream session where we just kind of work really understanding what, is every, what does everybody want to achieve in their, in their life? So it's based on Matthew Kelly does this very short clip about you know, doing a dream session and he gets every year he gets his whole team to come and they have to come with their hundred dreams and everybody moans and says, Oh, a hundred dreams. I can't come up with a hundred dreams. Mm-hmm. But then as people are talking about their dreams, one person saying, Oh, I want to take my wife to Italy. And Oh, I also want to take my wife to Italy. That's number 17 now. And, you know, they kind of like just talking about doing this dream session. So we're going to kind of really do that and just, and, you know, just get to know each other more personally, mm-hmm. which will lead us to a different model in a while. But um, the other thing that we're going to talk about is what does each individual need? You know what are their what are their needs in in the workplace environment? Like, how do they need to be interacting with each other? What do they you know what are their values? What are they kind of needs? So yes, we've got the overall arching clinic values that everybody's on board with, and and that we interview against. You know, you bring people on board that are in alignment with those. Um, but now it's then it's that it is that next level down. It's like okay, so you know this is what we're all working towards. But how can we make it just that bit much better for you? 
individually. Really nuanced leadership, isn't it? Um, mm. Not just uh, using the same approach for everybody. Yeah. I'm reminded I did, I did a, a few, a sort of project recently on, on MeHub, my Facebook community, particularly for, called it the quiet clinician, for more introverted clinicians. And it was an eye-opener for me, again, on how we conduct things like in the clinic, things like eliciting ideas. So, you know, I would I would credit myself with being able to make people, most people feel quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's fine. You know, as long as I can make everybody feel comfortable in a meeting, then everyone's going to come up with ideas and, and that'll be wonderful. And, you know, talking to the quieter clinicians who, who that work that I was doing appealed to, just realise, you know, however comfortable they are, they're just not in a group going to throw forward their their baby of an idea that they're not quite sure about and not how it's going, don't know how it's going to be received. And I spoke to a couple of the, the quieter members of my team, and they were like, "Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> never going to do that." You know, come yeah. and me in the staff room, yeah. ask me to write you an email, give me a week to think about it. Yeah. You know, just give me give me a different approach that works for me. Yeah, and that's that kind of green calm tranquil indecisive don't put a spotlight on them and it's and it's it is exactly you know it's just really getting to know people's how they tick what they need and how you can best provide that yes so making sure i don't get completely away from god <laughs> but if we stay with that idea of individualism before we um press record you were talking um, about this surrounded by idiots and colour um, categorising. And um, you talked to just now about different approaches with different people. So in an actual conflict situation, would you mind going through some of the colours and maybe giving some thoughts mm. as to how your approach, if you're the one needing to steer yeah. this? Situation? Yeah. So, I mean, very like kind of basically with the fiery red, you've just got to be bold and direct and and get straight to the point don't dilly daddy dilly dally because they will just walk all over you and you'll walk away from that conversation not having achieved everything so with them you just need to really really be direct this is this is what's happened this is what I expect and this is what I would like to do to fill the gap you could have it on a more obviously collaborative conversation but you need to probably have a really really and a peg framework is perfect so peg is p-e-g problem expectation gap and go through that with a red person and be done with it and move on to the next thing because the reds just needs that. So the, gap, so the amount of time that you're going to allow before? Well, peg as in this is a problem that we've got, this is my expectation, and this is a gap between my problem and my oh, expectation, okay. So, and then you can go on to resolution. Right. Um, the blue, get your facts straight. Don't be going in and saying, oh, I feel like you're not really retaining new patients have the numbers, have the proof, have, you know, with with blue people, you just need to be very, very factual and precise and have that data there for them. Sunshine Yellow, it is that kind of really, um, they 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 want that rapport, you know, they want that that comf- being comfortable in a meeting. Um, so top and tail it. So James and I found that quite funny as well with, with the two of us because he's kind of the, I'm not saying he's boring or, or or not sociable or anything, but he's not the sunshine yellow that I am. He's so he's blue, wants to just get on with it. And you know, th- this is this is where we're at. And, and so often with his emails, he'd send an email. So combination of red and blue, send an email saying, uh, 
see a da 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 woman, I think, oh my gosh, like why is he is he cross with me? Has have I done something that's offended him? And I like my yellow would be overthinking this. And so he knew top and tail the emails, but I also knew if he sends an email like that, he probably just needs something and just send it to him. Um, so the yellows, we want to be kind of, you know, um, friendly, um, but with the yellows, we want to make sure that we are following up with an email because yellows, you'll have a meeting with a yellow, the yellow will, yeah, 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 yeah. And I realize that's gone wrong. And what I'm going to do is I can do this and I can do that. And they'll promise the world. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, nothing else has changed. So with a yellow, we really need to be following up um, with them. And then with the green, we need to help them make that decision. So we almost need to kind of pull them along and make that help them come up with a decision in the meeting, because otherwise they are very, very indecisive. But we need, you know, they're very kind, they're very reliable, they're very team orientated. So with them, we just, it's just kind of being a gentle, like if you're a red, don't go in all, you know, kind of, kind of lights glazing bulls glazing or whatever that saying is um you need to calm it down and probably you know even just your tone of voice mm-hmm. and the like if it's a yellow person you can probably be a little bit more energetic and upbeat right let's sort this out let's get this done whereas with a green we just want to be that that kind of bit calmer mm-hmm. approach that sounds great and it feeds into some of the work i do with people because i'm just thinking as you were talking then about how useful it would be to um, be able to know what colour all your team were and then before you go mm. into the situation particularly if they're a different colour to you to have a process to almost get yourself a little bit into their state yeah before you go into the session yeah and with a green sorry no with a green to we really need to remember that no spotlight and it does need to be a, a one-to-one you'd probably get away with a yellow kind of doing it kind of in the corridor or whatever. Um, But with a green person, you absolutely need to make sure that you're doing it as a one-to-one and you're organized because they're very indecisive. Yeah. And the blues with the detail. Mm. Yeah, And it's interesting because I always, before we had that particular conversation, I was going to talk to you about tendency I've noticed, which some people might relate to in that, um, because I don't love conflict, certainly in the past, my tendency was to get in and get out as quickly as possible, mainly so that I didn't have to handle my own feelings for too long. <laughs> um, now I hear that, I hear what you're saying, that possibly with a red person, as long as you're decisive, that could be a good approach. Yeah. But with your greens and your yellows, it's probably helpful to slow it down. Mm-hmm. And I'll see with your blues, maybe not so much time in the meeting, but certainly time to prepare beforehand. Yeah. And stuff yeah so time giving the giving the situation the right amount of time even mm. if it's not an actual conflict yeah it's really yeah. important doesn't it yeah yeah and so many so many useful things here um one of the feelings i think that's really strong with conflict is guilt and in my experience i would say it generally kicks in after the event so you know, people might have had really good coaching and be really clear on how they're going to conduct a um, conflict situation, or maybe not. They may have prepared themselves very well. Um, and if those things are in place, I would say a good sign that, that you've followed a good process is that the guilt is less. But 
you were the best one in the world. I think guilt is a feeling that we're often left with, particularly if we're quite reflective. You know, we might be really happy with what's going on during the conflict situation, and then the voices start afterwards. Oh, mm. I was that. I should have said that. They probably you know, hate me for this. What What are your thoughts around that? I mean, I think it's good practice to reflect on what went well, what maybe you could have done differently if you were in a situation next time, how would you handle it differently? And and I think one needs to, you know, just recognize that there are going to be situations that maybe didn't go 100% correctly. And, And sometimes it might even be appropriate to, at a later stage, have a conversation with the person that you had that conflict conversation with. Yeah. And say, so I've been thinking about this and I've, you know, and sometimes it's just being honest and being vulnerable and saying, I've been really concerned about the conversation that we had, even though we got to the stage. I just want to check in. How are you? Are you okay? Like, be human. Be human. If, if that, I always, there's two rules about kindness. Number one, always be kind. And that doesn't mean avoiding conflict. Sometimes it is kind to have conflict. In fact, a lot of the time it is kind to have conflict. But number one, in the tools of kindness is always be kind. And number two, if you can't follow, if, if you can't be kind, refer back to rule number one. <laughs> yes, excellent. And, 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 and I'd say it's also recognizing that you need to be kind to yourself as well. Yeah. So sometimes that conflict might feel unkind, but it's kind to you. And then you've just got to work out how do I make it kind to the other person? This leads us beautifully into <laughs> a concept you introduced me to called radical candor. Mm. Um, I've done a little bit of reading around it. Okay. You told me about it, but Celia, would you explain um, your understanding of radical candor? Yeah. So, um, a, a, another really great book to read. Um, um, Kim Scott wrote this book, and and she talks about um, how you know we need to challenge directly but care personally. And she really comes up with us that actually, the, and if you are, if you really care personally and you challenge directly, you are being radically candid. And she just talks about how often when we start our careers or, you know, you kind of finish school and you'd finish your university and you're going to your first job and people say, be professional. And that's almost like stop caring and be professional. Be a robot. And, yeah, be a robot and just, you know, now you're in work, you're in a work environment, you have to be professional and you shouldn't you know, make versus manager and all sorts of kind of things come in there. Um, but she says that a lot of a lot of people will care personally, but they fear giving direct feedback. And actually, so she shares this that kind of um, quadrant and there are four different ways that you can communicate. So the caring personally but not giving direct feedback which is where I think a lot of people might find themselves especially in the caring when you're green caring person um, is actually ruinous empathy so whilst you're really caring for this person you're not actually giving them the kindness of the feedback that they need to be able to progress in whichever area they're struggling in um and then the other, the, the two kind of quadrants on the bottom where you um, do, don't challenge directly and you don't care, you don't give a toss, is manipulative insincerity. insincerity. Um, you know, you just kind of, um, you give praise that's insincere, you maybe flatter a person that's insincere, um, maybe you 
criticizing them behind their back. You're just really being manipulatively insincere. Um, and then the the other not great area to be in is where you're challenging directly um, and you don't care. So with a manipulative insincerity, you don't even challenge them. You just like talk about them behind their back and you kind of giving them compliments that are insincere. Whereas this one, you're actually, um, you don't spare their feelings. You just tell them what they need to know. And you just kind of like a bull in a china shop. I think she and calls that one obnoxious aggression, doesn't she? Obnoxious aggression, yeah. So those two areas, you know, really do not want to be in those. And unfortunately, a lot of people, and I know I've definitely been in that, that area before, that ruinous empathy where you just care so much for the person, you're too frightened to give them feedback, you don't want them to leave. Um, and I think that in, in today's um, environment of recruitment, um, I think even people that are quite good at being radically candid almost find themselves in the ruinous empathy because they really care about the person but they don't want to give them any negative feedback in case they say, oh, I'm going to jump ship. Um, and then they're going to have to go and find someone else. And so, yeah, so um, so really that the place that you want to be is in the radical candid place where you really do care for that person. And you've got to genuinely show that you care for that person, um, but that you challenge directly. And she gives a really a great example in her book and in some of her talks that you can find on, on YouTube. And she says, you know, a lot of people say, well, how long do how long do these radically candid conversations need to take? And she gives an example, well, they can take two minutes. Um, so she gives an example of her, she had a dog, she's just got this dog and she was like walking in like in the road and whatever. And she got to this um, traffic light and the dog kind of jumped out and she had to like kind of pull the dog back and um, like almost a disaster, but it wasn't. Anyway, this gentleman next to her um, kind of said, you're going to kill, I, I, you know, I can see you really love that dog, but you're going to kill it if you don't teach it how to sit. And then he goes, sit. And the dog sits. And she's like, I didn't even know the dog knew what sit meant. <laughs> but she said in those two, in that very small interaction, he immediately said, I can see you care for that dog. And he immediately gave her direct feedback. Yeah. And and the solution. And, and the solution, yeah. So, um, and it is, it is hard um you know you've got to be able to get it as well you've got to give permission for pete for your team to give the, that radical candle feedback um and you've got to kind of learn to give it mm -hmm. yeah no I, I really like it and uh, i haven't read the book i've seen quite a few of the youtube videos and i'd really encourage people to um start with those or read the book if, if you like as well but um it's a really nice concept and anyway i'd the first time I uh, heard the detailed description of particularly ruinous empathy and manipulative insincerity, massive cringe moments. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think they can lead into each other. Um, I, I often work with archetypes of the victim, the martyr and the bitch, which mm. are final versions of that online as names like the um, victim, the persecutor and the um, rescuer. Yes. Um, but particularly rescuer slipping into persecutor, which in that quadrant would be um, the, uh, well, sometimes actually the ruinous empathy person, almost putting up with stuff for so long and too long that they will have to go into obnoxious aggressive because 
they kind yeah. of haven't done the, the stages in between and they've got themselves so angry that it can only come out in this really uncontrolled and unhelpful way. Yeah, um, and, and I think that even if you care for the person, so you, I think we were talking about earlier where, you know, we, we, we want to avoid conflict, so we just sweep it under the carpet, sweep it under the carpet, and then suddenly we just explode. And in that moment of explosion, you're not showing that you care personally for the person. So therefore, you're giving that direct feedback and saying, this isn't working, da, 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 or you're having whatever. Mm. That is that obnoxious aggression. But it's not that you don't care for the person. It's just that you haven't shown it in your communication. Yeah. Potentially. And you just needed to put that personal care in to put it into the radical candle quadrant. Yeah. And I love it. So you're really helping helping me and I'm sure people listening to reframe the definition of yourself as a carer in that moment um, mm. it's always that reactive what does this person need in this moment now it, it's yeah. much far-reaching what is the bigger picture how can I support this person future and, and the business as a whole or the, the business as a whole if you're not the, the and, and hopefully you know by having this conversation and just sharing kind of different tools and um you know just insight as well, just even awareness of ourselves. Hopefully that will reduce the number of times that we end up in that obnoxious aggression mm -hmm. space. Yes, absolutely. For the And I think that ruinous empathy, it's also in a way, I mean, one of the examples that she shared was how, you know, she kind of came up with this ruinous empathy because of her one employee, Bob, who everybody loved Bob and, but he wasn't doing his work and no one told him. And then when eventually it got to the point where, you know, she had to kind of bring him in and say, right, well, this isn't working. Um, he was like, kind of, well, why didn't you tell me? Why did, why did no one tell me? Mm -hmm. And there was probably even not tiny bit of manipulative sincerity going on. Although I wouldn't say it was that people didn't care about him, but I think the ruinous empathy can, get a little bit more if you flat if you're giving that kind of no you're doing all right when they're not yeah so I think there's some there's one ruinous empathy where you just don't give any feedback um so you're not being direct about it but then there might be a tinge of you giving you're sort of saying to the person they're doing well but they're not actually yeah yeah and you're just kicking the can down the road with a nice mm -hmm. comment mm -hmm. exactly yeah, yeah. so Celia, there's one more sort of change of gear that I'd like to make. And we, we've talked mostly at the moment about uh, or sort of from the behalf of the person effectively leading the conflict situation. Um, but I'm sure lots of people would agree that being the recipient of um, criticism, however nicely it's delivered, you know, let's hope the person giving it to you has listened to this podcast and is going to do it in a yeah. uh, <laughs> candid way. But it's still really hard, isn't it? If it and again, I, I think if you're a caring person, um, I did certainly relate to being in a situation where I was having to receive feedback and still trying to care for the person delivering it to me as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's a quite a, a complex scenario. Yeah. And I think um, something that comes to mind when you say that is um, managing our limbic responses. So when we are giving or receiving feedback, we are going to have a certain level of limbic response going on. So, and so our brains are always working out if we're in a threat or reward state. And when we're getting 
you know, if we're having um, a difficult conversation with someone and we're on the receiving side, our brains are telling us you're in danger. Um, a guy by the name of David Rock created this model called SCOF. And he talks about how when we're in a threat or reward state, um, like a reward state, like we win the lotto or in a threat state where a lion's chasing us, when we're in a threat state under in, in a social environment, so not like being chased by a lion, but like it, just in a social environment where we're having a conversation and it's uncomfortable and we feel under threat, our brains respond in the same way. Our prefrontal cortex shuts down and our limbic response kicks in to protect us. And because our prefrontal cortex shuts down a bit, we're not in the same position to be able to respond, to be able to logically understand, to be able to hear. We go into a defensive mode. And so in order for us to have the best results from a conflict situation on both sides, we need to make sure that we're dampening those limbic responses. And he talks about the SCARF model, which has got five different buttons, if you want to call them that, that can be pushed. So if we're in a situation where we feel our status is under threat, so the status is the S, um, so if we feel like we're like, let's say I'm a young physio that's just started working and now my boss who's been a physio for 20 years is now having a difficult conversation with me because of my patient retention. Uh, if status is really important to me, that's massively going to push that button and it's going to cause the limbic response. The next one is certainty. So we're going to work out, you know, am I feeling, you know, have I got any certainty? So if, if certainty is really important to someone, then we need to make sure that they know exactly what's going to happen, how the conversation is going to go. Um, then they might need to have certainty in terms of a very clear job description, very clear targets, you know, whatever that means. Autonomy is if our if if we have our sense of choice, if that's being threatened, that could push our button. Um, and then relatedness, so coming kind of going to the yellow um person relatedness is really important so they're always working out is it friend am i in a friend or foe situation and then the fairness is this a fair exchange and so we need to just make sure like we need to know which one of those push our buttons so if we're in a conflict situation actually if we realize that you know status really pushes my buttons or certainty then we need to almost just by naming it and recognizing it we can calm ourselves down and we'll be more open and then for the person if we're if we're having a conversation if we're setting up a conversation that's going to be conflict we need to make sure that we're dampening those as much as possible and a few things like just asking permission so asking the person is it is now a good time is it a good time to talk now or are you comfortable sitting in my office or shall we go for a walk down the, in the park or you know asking them permission gives them more controls giving them a little bit more control of that situation or just giving placement telling them this is this is what I want to do I want to talk about um what's happening and then I'd like to just hear your views about it and then we're going to come up with a plan so that we can move forward and you're just giving them that placement so that that's calming them down because it's like you know if you so can I have a word in my office? What does that do? <laughs> oh, like, boom, limited response. Yeah. Terrified. Well, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble. So we need, you know, just being aware that from a receiver's point of view as to how what triggers you and therefore you can prepare yourself and you can calm yourself and you can or you can get whatever information you need prior to any meeting that you're going into. Um. And then also from a delivering. Yeah, and it reminds me of something my business partner, Matt, always says. He talks about a boss he used to have. And he 
he'd say um, that this boss would always give him the Friday night ambush. Mm. Um, so you know, if there was something that needed to be brought up, it wouldn't be brought up all week. And just mm. as he was back to do the door on a Friday, boom, a hand grenade in the ring, yeah. um, which obviously flies in the face of everything you just said. Um, and I can really see on the on the opposite side of that spectrum in a really well-functioning business um, where people understand these concepts. There could be a really great conversation where you, as the as the boss or the person that's going to lead the conversation, you out of courtesy say, I need to have a conversation with you and it's about this. Mm. And then the person knows themselves well enough according to the principles you were just talking about to say, okay, that sounds like a conversation that would work better for me if we can get outside and, and go for a walk. Mm. Yeah. Which is such a growing up and respectful way of, of setting yeah. things up, isn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, like, I mean, we can try and find the utopia of communication, but I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's something that you can develop over time. And I think even just almost laying the ground rules of, you know, this is how we work in this practice. We are, you know, we, if, if things are going wrong, we're going to highlight it straight away. I had a client who used to write things in a black book when she started working with me. I was horrified. She said, oh, I've really got to get rid of this person. And and then she took this black book out and showed me all the things that this person had done wrong. And I was oh, you know, that's on like completely extreme. It was like that that was hard work. Um, but, you know, I think if you write from the outset, talk about, you know, we're going to have one-to-ones. If there's anything that comes up, this is how we, this is how we address these situations. And, mm-hmm. You know, I know some cultures that you're going to are maybe, you know, dictatorial and everybody else is a little bit frightened of the boss or, you know, or there's just kind of that ruinous empathy where not, no conversations ever, ever take place. And we kind of want to bring that all over to this radical candid place where everybody cares personally and everybody is has permission to challenge directly. Yeah, both ways. Mm. I, I, as we were talking about that, I reminded it only a few months ago, actually, I sent a group WhatsApp and WhatsApp out to my team because something I'd realized. I said, look guys, when you need to bring something up with me and you send me a WhatsApp that says, Joe, can I have a word? Um, I said, please just write a couple of lines because I said, you know, mostly it's it's nothing I need to worry about. Yeah. But if it is, you know, tell me what it is. But please just do me the courtesy of not just writing that line because I've got a limbic system too. Absolutely. And I think that that's that's where we were talking earlier about the the kind of the, the yes we've got the headline values um of the business and direction of the business but actually we've also got people that have got their own needs and you know they you know generally your team are spending a large majority of their time in their 24 hours is spent in your business so let's see what what they need from us to make that a really enjoyable in, in environment so You've, you've thrown so many great books <laughs> and concepts. I've been scribbling them down. I'm going to try and verbally rattle them off, but let's make sure we, we write them in the, the notes for this session as well. So we start to, started off talking about the book um, Surrounded by Idiots, and I didn't write down the author of that one. Thomas Erickson. Thomas Erickson. And we talked about Kim Scott's work on Radical Thunder. Yep. And you've just talked about David Rock's book, uh, or is it just a concept? The yeah, so he's concept. He he's written a book called he's written a few books, but the he's written a book called Quiet Leadership. I don't think the scarf model's in there though. But there's a whole paper. If you just Google David Rock scarf, there is quite a nice big paper on that. So it's more, you know, so he he talks about it for in the workplace. 
Um, so it's not clinic specific, but I think, you know, it's people specific. Yeah, absolutely. There's some brilliant things there that I'm definitely going to go and look up the ones I know less about as well. And just to let people know, Celia and I are going to put together on, on the back of the webinar that I did for Celia's community and this podcast that she's kindly done for me. Um, we're going to put together a, a longer workshop, probably about a three hour workshop where we go into these uh, ideas around conflict in more detail. And we want it to be very interactive, don't we, Celia? Yeah. Um, people can bring their own uh, particular circumstances, particular concerns, particular skills that they've developed and make it really interactive um we haven't set a date for this well actually by the time this podcast goes that we would have set a date for this <laughs> and we hope we'll put it in the, the notes with this so if if the concepts that Celia and I've talked about today have um, sort of lit a spark for you and it's something that you feel would be beneficial either for yourself personally or within your business or both to look at a little bit more deeply then look out for the details of the um of the workshop Celia, I'm going to ask you one personal question at the end. Um, and I'm not going to ask you, can you give me three top tips? Because I hate being asked that question. <laughs> so I can't bring them all together in one go. Given us both top tips. Um, on a scale of 0 to 10, as a, uh, what are you, yellow, red? Red, yellow? Yeah, yellow, red, yes. <laughs> How much do you like conflict? For my sins. How much do I like to do? Oh, I'm dreadful. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much I like dealing with it? Zero. Yeah. Um, how often do I put my big old panties on? Probably I'm still learning. Probably four or five. I'm still, you know. That's so reassuring to me and everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, how much do I work on being able to not call it conflict? A lot. Yeah, yeah no, that is such a helpful answer. I think if you'd said nine, um, yeah, that would have been more difficult to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> completely human human being Absolutely. all the quirks well thank you so much for for being my guest today and for bringing all your knowledge all those tips all those references it's been really really helpful thank you thanks so much for having me pleasure take care see you hello again i hope you enjoyed that conversation and that session with celia champion uh, I didn't ask Celia at the end for contact details, but if you look up in this practice uh, with her name, then you will certainly find all the information you need and any contact details. You heard us make reference at the end of the session to a three-hour workshop we're going to be conducting to allow you to delve deeper into some of these concepts and to come up with real-life examples so you can put some of these principles into practice and work out how you and your businesses might be able to develop strategies and a culture that is able to handle and live with and survive conflict. So uh, we'll put the, the details and how to sign up to that workshop along with this episode. Um, and we would love uh, lots of you to, to join us so that we can develop these ideas further and get you a little more comfortable with conflict. If you are someone trying to take care of yourself, and others and all sorts of scenarios around you all day every day and in relation to this episode if you're someone that is having to manage sometimes and all the feelings around that remember you're human give yourself a break and remember that you matter mm -hmm.